welcome to the first episode of the Bucketless Gamers podcast. My name's Jay, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Eddie. Hi. There he is. Everything's working, we think. We've got all the uh, kinks ironed out. It is the first run, so we'll uh, we'll give it a go and see, see how we get on. First question we'll answer, because I'm sure people are interested, is what is the Bucketless Gamers podcast? It was an idea I had a few years ago now. After buying a, a retro gamer magazine that, that listed the 100 games to play before you die, and I thought, oh, it's interesting. I wonder if I could get through all of them, and then did nothing with it for two years. I just happened to mention it to Eddie, and he seemed quite interested, so we thought we'd we'd make a go of it, see if we could get a podcast out of it. And here we are, after a few, few weeks of trying to set it up. That's the basic premise. Some of the games in there I already know I don't like. So that'll be interesting to, to play through those. I think Eddie's probably <laughs> in the same boat. Some of them yeah. there is nothing to say about, um, but we will deal with those when we come to them. But we're kicking off with a nice light one. Dead easy to play, didn't take as long at all, with Pokemon Gold and Silver from 1999 when uh, I was in my video game Pomp with a Game Boy, a Game Gear, Probably, yeah, PlayStation by that point, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely, 1999. Yeah. It's around that time. It genuinely makes me feel so old as well. I know, I'm not happy about it. 1999. The fact that I cannot even remember what system was out then. I'm thinking PS2 was probably a bit after that, wasn't it? I'll have to check my dates on that one. but Especially because I didn't get one when they first came out either. Uh, but I definitely had a game, yeah. a Game Boy Color. I think we were just moving into PS2 at that point, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah, because N sixty four at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, because two thousand, because nineteen ninety eight was Ocarina of Time. So around about that time, you had PS two, N sixty four, Dreamcast, the oh, console yeah. that couldn't. Can't forget the Dreamcast. To be fair, I've got really good memories of a Dreamcast. I never actually had one, but I had a couple of friends who did, and we used to play House of the Dead and stuff. And I used to love that console, but it was just so before its time, wasn't it? That it just it was yeah, never going to work. If it came out, if it came out any later, it would have sold gangbusters, but it it didn't. It tried to compete with PS2 in its heyday, which was just suicidal. And I don't think Sega did themselves any favours at all because that the, their rep wasn't great at the time. Mm. Um, and I think they just threw too much in. I mean, you you were coming off the Mega CD and then the Saturn, which didn't exactly go down well. And no. I mean, they did amazing things with it. The, the online capabilities of it was so before its time that it just wasn't feasible to use them. Like, I mean, I remember we were on dial-up internet back then, and it was yeah. one of those one of those dial-ups where you literally got cut off every hour as well, and you had to spend about twenty minutes getting back on. And then if somebody rang you or you used the phone, it cut you off. And yeah, it, it just wasn't it wasn't like a good environment for gaming <laughs> online, was it? And I think like no, was it Choo Choo Rocket was the only game I ever remember playing online on it, and that I didn't like that game anyway. So it was never going to win me over on that front. Yeah, and then they had the weird little, they had the weird little memory card. I was just going to say that, Sonic, which turned the, into a virtual I, pet with the chows. Yeah, 
Yeah, I could never remember how to spell or pronounce their <laughs> names because it was like chaos. So I could never yeah. remember whether they were chaos or chows or chaos or whatever. But those things. Yeah, because you had the little garden, didn't you? And you could breed them and then put one on that and just carry it around with you like a, a rubbish Tamagotchi because it didn't actually do anything. But it, no. it sort of tracks that you were pressing buttons on it, I think, and it made it perform better or something. But yeah, I don't know how we've drifted off into Dreamcast already, but it's it's been a fun joint. There, there are Dreamcast games in the 100, so I'm sure, I'm sure it'll come up again. But yeah, I definitely remember at that time having a, a Game Boy Color because I'd pestered my parents for one specifically for Pokemon Red and Blue. And I remember very vividly going to Meadow Hall, which for those that don't live around where we live is like a big shopping centre that you can get lost in for days if if you don't go the right way. And I went there and went to Woolworths. So again, something else that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I spent the majority of my birthday money on Pokemon Gold and a Linkin Park album. So... Couldn't get much more 1999 than that. And then I went home, put the album in my CD player and played Pokemon Gold for what seems like hours, got stuck and never went back to it again. And I think that cartridge is still sat there somewhere in my parents' house with that save file on it of me sat at the top of the tower trying to catch the Ho-Ho without enough Pokeballs. And then I was just like, I'm not doing this tower again. And I turned it off. And that was the end for me on Pokemon Gold, which I've later found out now we've played through it again. Isn't actually that far into the game at all. It felt to me like it was practically the end. But looking back, I don't think I was that far into it at all. So it was an interesting one to go back to for me. Um, So, I mean, to go through the, the changes from the first game to this one, there were some decent ones, I think, weren't there? So there's the number of monsters has increased, obviously. Bigger bigger yeah. area to play in. Um essentially the first game with another game tacked onto it in reverse, which yeah. we'll come to. And then there's there's stuff in it that I like less, such as the day and night mechanic, which we'll get onto. The added breeding, which a lot of people love. It's not for me. I don't think it's it's something I've never paid that much attention to. And I know you meant to, if you want to be good at Pokemon, but I pick the ones that I like the look of that have the good moves and, and go from there. I'm not sort of looking at EVs and IVs and God knows what else they are. I don't know if that's something that you've ever sort of looked at. Uh, I have briefly um, back when I was properly into Pokemon um, back when I had gold and silver, um, I burnt out the memory unit in it because <laughs> I played it that much. I I got it to 999 hours and 99 minutes. And unfortunately, because back then they didn't ha- they didn't think anyone would play it for a thousand hours. Once it hit that and once it ticked over, it reset your save file. So I played it for 999, nearly a thousand hours, and it, I'd got shinies, which again, new mechanic that they introduced in Gold and Silver. I'd got pretty much every single one of them to level 100, and I mean all 251, um, and then it reset, and I lost everything, and I, I think I think I spent a good week mourning the loss. <laughs> Before thinking, oh, might as well give it another go. <laughs> See, I don't think that's ever happened to me. I did reset my blue 
and then immediately regret it. Because I was like, oh, I'll reset this and I can play through it again. And then I like lost everyone and I'd grown quite attached to that party. And I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that yeah. now. Um, but other than that, no, I've never had I've never had one sort of... I tell a lie, I had a, a copy of Emerald and it turned out to be a dodgy copy of Emerald that I didn't realise because I bought it off eBay. And when I tried to do a trade with someone, it wiped my game. And I was a little bit oh. furious about that. <laughs> Um, but I'd not got that far, to be fair. So then it, it took me longer to find a legitimate copy of Emerald than than it had actually played on the dodgy one, because there seems to be a million fake copies of Emerald and, and that generation out there. I don't know if Game Boy Advance was easier to, to sort of copy or what, but there's so many out there. And weirdly enough that you should mention Emerald, in all fairness, because um, Gen 2 was essentially when they brought in the third game. Mm. I, I know red, blue had yellow, but yellow was a case in and of itself because it was essentially the anime yeah. in cartridge form. Whereas Gold and Silver introduced Crystal as like a an expansion pack version of the base game. Um and yeah so yeah so Gen 2 was when they properly went you know what? We we can start really ripping people off for <laughs> essentially the same game, but with a little bit of an added extra. And yeah, then they got emeralds. You got black and white too. You got platinum, and yeah. So, but yeah, I think Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games were quite easy to replicate. Yeah, I mean, I've talk, talking quite a lot about Red and Blue. It will come up in the book, so we'll probably rehash this, and you'll have to all listen to it again. Whoever is actually listening out there. But yeah, my blue cartridge, as it transpires, was a fake, and I never realised this until about a year ago when I found it, and it didn't have Nintendo in the little indent. Um, my my parents had bought me, had bought it me from when they'd been on holiday. They'd been to Gran Canaria or somewhere and bought it over there, and yeah, it played absolutely perfectly. You'd never have known, but it doesn't have the Nintendo stamp on the cartridge, so it must be a fake. Um. So yeah, my Nintendo my obviously entire, not that fussy. <laughs> my entire love of Pokemon is built on a sham of a fake cartridge <laughs> from from somewhere in Spain. Um, so off to off to a great start with it. But no, Gold and Silver for me was a weird one because I was really hyped for it because I loved Blue so much, and then I just for whatever reason didn't get into it as much. I, it's not like I grew out of it because further. Like black and white and X and Y and that those ones I got really into again and sort of finished them, but gold and silver for me I just I don't know I just didn't get the same vibe as I did from red and blue. I, th- I think with gold and silver, um, you get I think you get to like the fourth gym, and then it goes a little bit open world. Hmm. Whereas red and blue were quite linear in terms of you needed certain moves to be able to go somewhere, or you needed the pokey flute to wake Snorlax up, or what have you. So you needed to do it in a specific order. Yeah. Whereas gold and silver, you get to gym four, and then it just goes do what you want, and there's no guidance for it at all. And I appreciate cartridge, and it's like it's not even thirty two bit at this point. Is it's like still sixteen yeah. bit. And and if you put explanatory dialogue in it, you're gonna have to chop off either like twenty Pokemon, or, or you're gonna have to chop off a gym or something like that. Yeah, and they yeah. prioritized doing Kanto and Johto in one game, 
So I, I get that you can't be like, oh, you now need to go to this place or you now need to go to this place. But for people that were just used to like red and blue and not properly used to RPG mechanics, you do just sort of go, oh, great. Um, Where do I go? What yeah. now? <laughs> I mean, even now when we've been, because for the past week or so, we've been playing back through it, haven't we? And, and sort of dropping messages to each other about our progress and, and where we've got to and what we've caught. And even now I got completely lost in it. Um, and I had to message you and be like, what do I do after this gym? And it turns out I'm fairly certain because I'll, I'll admit it, I own the game, so it's not illegal, but I've been playing it on an emulator just because it, you can speed it up because we both commented the game is so slow, like compared to modern versions of it. The text is slow, the walking's slow. Even when you get the bike, it's still pretty slow. The battles are slow. The Every aspect of it compared to today's is really, really sort of drawn out, isn't it? And on an emulator, you can put it in like four times speed and you can whiz through it a lot quicker. So that's sort of the reason I did it. And I'm pretty sure there was some sort of bug in the emulated version that I've got because I went through that bloody cave and I got to the other side of it and the entrance was not there to come out of it. And I was like, well, I don't know where to go now. I must need like surf or something to to get through this cave. And I must have spent a good hour walking back between the first sort of four towns. And I had no idea where to go. And then you said, oh, you need to go through the cave. And I was like, no, I've been in there. It's closed off. And then I went and the door was there and I came out of it. So I don't know if that was like a bug in my emulated version or whether I just actually completely missed the door. But it's fairly obvious because it's got a big gold ring around it, hasn't it? So I don't think I missed it. So that threw me off. And then again, I had to message you for advice because I'd done something and you have to go and just like arbitrarily talk to somebody with a flower shop and they give you a watering can. Watering can. Yeah, to yeah. get past the, um, the sumo wudo, isn't it? And And that bit took me ages to figure that out as well so even now as a what i would class as a sort of seasoned gamer i was still completely getting lost in it and not having a clue what i was doing which it does sort of help in gold and silver though because we've also said before we came on it's very grindy and getting lost and just battering through a load of pokemon does that you actually do need to do that anyway so it sort of wasn't the worst thing yeah. in the world that I ended up wandering around for like an hour because I got my levels up quite a bit. Yeah, there, there are a certain, like you say, there are certain points in the game that just get grindalicious. They are, you hit a wall and you end up having to just go, do you know what, I need to step away and I need to spend the next hour just levelling up my Pokemon. Because back in back when you were playing Gold and Silver and Red and Blue, it was like you used your starter... And you occasionally leveled up the rest of your team yeah. to support you. But in gold and silver, it, it you get to points where it's like you can't just survive with one Pokemon. Whitney being the prime <laughs> example of that. And, it, and she is the bane of so many Pokemon players' existences. Um, the sodding mill tank. I'm going to say it's not her, is it? It is that one mill tank with rollout that is nearly impossible to get past unless it, you can get a few lucky hits of, on it it's the combination of stomp minimize rollout and milk drink so so not only does it have a move that exponentially increases in power every time it uses it and none of your pokemon your starters are resistant to the to that move so cinderquill gets absolutely violated by it and Chikorita and Totodile both don't resist it. 
So it's still just doing base damage to you. Uh, not only does it do that, it can minimise itself, so it increases its evasiveness, which means you don't hit quite as much. It has Stomp, which can crit on you. And then, just to, you know, just to add icing to the cake, you get it to, like, minimal health, and then it uses Milk Drink and heals itself. So, yeah. And yet, it's never a Pokemon I've used. And it's it, no. it sounds like it's pretty decent, but I've just never had... I don't like how it looks, for a start. The it upsets me how it looks. Disconcerting. <laughs> So it's never been. It is it? Is it a normal? It's normal. Yeah, it's isn't just it? plain normal so type. Yeah. It's just never something I've really looked at. You maybe it's something I should have a look at, and and get in get into using. But no, it's it's not one for me. That that gym took me a few goes. Up until that point, it had been pretty smooth sailing, and then I got there and I got battered a good few times. Leveled up, thought right, I'm in a good position. Battered again, um, and I think it. I did manage to get past it without getting the EXP share because I don't think you can get that till later anyway, can you? Because you have to catch the no, it's the red Gyarados, don't you? Six, yeah. So there's no chance to sort of do any EXP share and and boost yourself up to face it because that's not a thing. So you have to literally put a rubbish Pokemon in in number one, immediately switch to something that's strong enough to defeat whatever you're up against, and just grind that way, which was the way back in the day, wasn't it? Now I think. Is it just automatic EXP share in the new ones? Yeah, so I think on. yeah, I think I think it was introduced in X and Y, where you got the EXP share from like the get go. Um, but yeah, uh, however, if you play most of the modern games like Scarlet, Violet, um, Sword and Shield, they are ridiculously easy because of the yeah. experience share. Um, it is a bit of a balancing act. I think gold's not difficult until you get to one or two little bits. It's not like the whole game is a grind. It's just that one gym, no. and then the Elite Four is obviously a step up again, so you need to sort of grind for that because you need to get through all of them in one go. If it was each of them individually, I don't think it would be a problem, but you need so many resources to get through them in one piece, and then you come up against one that... that has a bit of evasiveness and you don't hit it straight away and it wipes out two or three of your team and then you basically may as well start again because you're never going to get yeah. through to the end of it without a full strength team so there's little bits like that that are difficult I think the balance is sort of there it's not too bad it's just when you hit one of those brick walls you have to walk around for like an hour just randomly killing like Caterpies and Zubats and stuff and it, it just does yeah. great on you a little bit but I didn't, I didn't uh, mind that aspect of it too much. And there is a lot to do, like you say, with it being a bit open worldy. You can wander around places and find stuff that's not essential to the main story, but is good to find. Yeah, um, I, I think, I think one of the big things for me that that really takes away from how good Gold and Silver is, um, is the new roster of the new 100 Pokemon, whatever, um, added into the game. You can't actually get until you've done the Elite Four and gone into Kanto. So most of the new introductions, I mean, okay, you can get stuff like Scissor because you can get Scyther yeah. quite early. You can get Steelix quite early if you get Metal Coat and stuff like that and you've got people to trade with. But unless... 
I mean, if you're wanting to use some of the new dark Pokemon, so this is obviously the generation that it introduced dark and steel types because yeah. in the first gen, Psychic was just overpowered. It was you if you had a Psychic type, you couldn't beat it. There was nothing that was super effective against it except for Bug, and the Bug types were crap. <laughs> but this gen, they introduced a load of stuff to counter that. So they introduced steel types, they introduced dark types, and they introduced Heracross, which was like the best psychic killer because it had mega horn but most of them unless you know where to get heracross you can't get it and everything else is post elite four so like houndor you don't get until you're in kanto and it's a johto pokemon and it's like how does that make any sense (laughs) at all you're introducing this new pokemon but you can't get it until i go back to red and blue okay that's that makes sense yeah, I was. A lot of them are familiar, and then a lot of the new gold and silver ones aren't really worth having, are they? Like, I think in my team, I don't have any new. It's all it's all red and blue in my team currently. I think. I mean, the only one I can. There's a few, isn't there? So there's that. Um, is it Mareep? That like electric sheep. Oh, Ampharos. Yeah, when it fully can... evolves, Ampharos is superb. So you can get them early on. You can get like what's. What's that one called? That blue one with the big ears on the side of its head? Oh, the water one. No, it begins with a W. Oh, the, the name will come to me. But yeah, there there isn't a lot of sort of good do ones. I don't think. I don't know if it's just because I'm sentimental for for got uh, for red and blue, and I I always pick like Pidgey. I'll have a Pidgey in there. I've got a, a Butterfree in there at the minute. I'll always go with those ones over like some of the newer ones. But they just don't seem to be as good to me. I don't know. They don't. The, the sprites aren't quite as nice, and they don't seem to do do as much damage. And that's probably my rose tinted, well, blue tinted specs. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it's one of those things for me that I tend to even in the more recent games. If I can get hold of a Squirtle, I'm always going to have a Squirtle in my team, whether there's like yeah. far better things to come or not, because that was my first ever Pokemon. <laughs> I'm always going to go for that. So it's just one of those things. Is it a whooper? That blue Pokemon. Yeah, we go. Yeah, the, the little so salamander. Yeah, that thing pops up a little bit in in the early stages. You can catch one of those things if you really wanted one, but I've never had an inclination to go with it. And then the biggest <sighs> insult for me in gold and silver is that they give you that bloody egg, and you have to carry it around with you, taking up a slot for so long, and then what comes out of it? Another egg, essentially, a useless egg. Because it's <laughs> so guppy. There is I can't it doesn't does it ever get better? Because I seem to recall persevering with it and it never seemed to be worth having. Unfortunately it doesn't get better in gold, silver and crystal. Um, right. Togepi, when it when it finally gets its evolution in black and white or diamond and pearl, one of the two, when it evolves into Togekiss, phenomenal Pokemon. Phenomenal. <laughs> Back in gold and silver, absolute heap of crap. So I carried that round literally to do it just to finish the mission, as it were, and then that goes straight into uh, straight into Bill's PC and, and never sees the light of day again. Or <laughs> for, for the rest of time. If I'm feeling generous, I might put it in the daycare and just leave it there indefinitely. <laughs> but yeah. it, it never gets into the squad, let's put it that way. Um, speaking of daycare, one of the things that was introduced, I mentioned earlier, the breeding. I think in my young mind, when they first introduced breeding, 
I was like, oh, this is great. If I put like something and something else in here, it's going to create like a mashup of these two Pokemons and it'll be like a, a completely new breed. And that's just not a thing, is it? And it's never become a thing. Um, so I spent a lot of time in gold when I first got it because back then there was no internet to go on and go, oh, can you actually breed like new Pokemon? The information I had at hand was a magazine article that told me about what gold was going to be and the game. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I put like a Pidgey and a Spearow in here, I'm going to get some sort of crossbreed bird Pokemon that's amazing. And it's just not a thing. But they don't, they don't like actually explain that to you in the game either, do they? They just say, oh, they don't like each other or they do like each other. And then they have an egg. And then the egg could contain one or the other with a little bit better stats, potentially, if both of the parents have good stats. So, Or, it, or an egg move that they don't necessarily learn. Yeah. So for me, it was always one of those things that it disappointed me early on, and I've never forgiven it. I think what made it I... worse was there was a game for Game Boy... I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was. it seemed to me like a Pokemon ripoff because you could catch monsters. But on that, you could breed them, and that actually did like fuse two bits of characteristics together. I can't remember what it was called now, but I know that one of the first things you caught on it was literally just a slime, and you could breed that with like this other thing. Um, I'm going to have to do some research and figure out what it is now because it'll bother me. But I'd seen somebody playing that and breeding two things together to make an actual amalgam of those two monsters, and I expected yeah. the same thing. So when that didn't happen, it just it was such a letdown, and I must have tried for hours trying to breed like. And I think the only thing you can that I ever got to breed was something in a ditto because dittos will just like bang anything. The, the whore of the Pokemon world would literally breed <laughs> yeah. with anything. So I'd stick a ditto in there, and then something else, and I might get an egg. But then when what came out of it was just like a level one crap version of the parent that I traded in. I was like, well, why would I ever use this? So, yeah, it didn't get a lot of time out of me after that, the breeding stuff. And I think with the breeding mechanic came the introduction of baby Pokemon. And Mm. I'm not being funny, but ask my arse about baby Pokemon. I, (laughs) I I do not care for them at all. Give me a third evolution. Don't give me a baby Pokemon. I would rather have an evolution of Raichu than a Pichu. Is this where that came in? This, the yes, first yeah, yeah. so this is where they gave you the babies. So you had like Pichu, Cleffer, Igglybuff. Hmm. <laughs> Again, ones that I never really bothered with, I don't think. No. Um... I might have had a I might have had yeah, I might have evolved a Pikachu at one point just to see what it was like. But then it, that's another thing with, with Pokemon for me as well. I can't bring myself to evolve a Pikachu. If I've got one, I will indefinitely halt its evolution <laughs> just to keep it as a Pikachu. And it is it generally is quite useless as a Pikachu when you when you get to sort of the end game, isn't it? But I can't bring myself yeah. to let it evolve. So the only way that I've ever got like a decent performance out of one is in Let's Go Pikachu because it, it doesn't evolve, does it? I don't think in that one. So No, it it, it, it literally refuses to. So that it stats up quite well in that one, and you can actually use it all the way through. But other than that, yeah, I've, I've kept one in my, my squad to my detriment as far as I possibly could, and then had to swap it out because I just refused to evolve it. And if I can find one in gold, that'll probably be the same thing. When I come across one, it'll go in there for a bit as my electric, and then I'll have to get rid of it. But no, I'd, I've enjoyed playing it again, and I think I will go on and finish it just because it's one that I've never finished. 
there aren't a lot of Pokemon games, especially handheld ones, that I haven't finished. So I think this one is like a bit of an outlier for me. I think there's this one and potentially Emerald that I've never actually got to the end of. And all the rest I've finished in some way or another. So I think I will carry on and finish it off. But I've just, I I don't know about you, but the more recent Pokemon games, I just can't get into. And it it is one of my favorite franchises, but like Sword and Shield, I haven't finished. Arceus, I haven't finished. I mean, I barely started playing it. Um, I just didn't get into it much. I don't know if it's because I'm old and I don't have time to do it as much now, like... Or whether it is just that they've changed too much, I, I couldn't say. I, th- I think that I think they've lost their wonder. Mm. Yeah, back, it, back in the day, they all, right the way through until black and white. Black and white was like peak for me mm. in terms of they didn't get any better. And since then, it's just been like a plateau of mediocrity. Um, and it's around black and white that we start getting the introduction of really weird Pokemon, like the ice cream Pokemon. Um, <laughs> yeah. That just makes you question what they're doing. And I mean, some of the new designs, some of the latest designs for stuff in Sword and Shield and in Scarlet and Violet have been phenomenal. But I just don't think they've recaptured that magic of red, blue, gold, silver, and um, ruby and sapphire. Yeah. No, I agree. It, is, it was around black and white that I started tailing off. I mean, I, I struggled through Sun, and, and I did get to the end of it, but I didn't particularly enjoy it as much as I had the other ones. And then since then, and I mean, I've played some rubbish Pokemon games over the years. I mean, I I sort of played, um, what are the ones, the GameCube ones? The, uh, oh, Coliseum. Where, yeah, and then there was another one, wasn't there, where they're sort of like, you don't actually catch Pokemon, you steal them off other people because they've corrupted them. Yeah, that's uh, Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon Coliseum XD Gale of Darkness. That's um, the one, yeah, Gale of Darkness. The XD Gale of Darkness is ridiculously expensive if you want to buy it for the GameCube now. It's about 250 quid. Really? Um, I've got a copy of that knocking about. That's uh, That'll be getting sold if I can dig it out. <laughs> Get it on eBay. <laughs> Here's, here's me thinking that my Donkey Konga bongo drums were the big value GameCube item I've got, and... There's one sat there with no, 200 quid. So if you've got like um, both Pokemon Coliseum games are quite expensive. Um, if you've got Pikmin 2, that's quite expensive. Um, yes, I think I have. Ma- uh, Paper Mario. Paper Mario 1000 Year Door. Oh, I've, again. I've seen that's valuable. I do have that somewhere, yeah. But I don't want to sell that because I really like it. It's like one of my favourites. I liked Paper Mario. I liked Paper Mario. That was good. I can't actually find my GameCube at the minute. It's somewhere in my parents' house, in in the loft, and I don't really know where. I know it's up there, and I know all the games are up there. Probably sitting on a treasure trove up there. Um, but Probably. yeah, need to dig that out. But then I won't sell them. I mean, who are we kidding? I'm not going to sell oh, them, no. just in case oh. I ever want to play them again at some point. Honestly, I am sat in a room at the minute that is that I could ha- I could retire on now. Really, <laughs> um, I've got collector's editions. I've got old consoles. I've got. There's about 30 to 40 folders of holofoil Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards that I could I could probably sell. I won't. I can convince myself <laughs> that I will one day, but I never will. It'll be it'll be down to the poor bugger that uh, has to clear my house out when I die that'll uh, so probably Emma um, she'll probably get <laughs> unless I pop around first get, get, older, <laughs> get older one of those folders. 
Hey, accidents happen, mate. Accidents happen. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been the same in terms of I buy stuff thinking that'll be worth some money. And then when it comes to being worth some money, I'm like, no, I can't sell it now because it, it might be worth more money or I might want to keep it. I mean, this is the reason I now have over 550 Funkos in every wardrobe and sort of crevice <laughs> of the house. And my other half is not happy about it. She's, <laughs> she's tolerating it, but she's not happy about it. And I've now got to the point where I do want to sell some of them, but I cannot be bothered in dealing with people on eBay or Facebook shopping or any of that rubbish because I know for a fact I'll sell them and then they'll come back to me and be like, oh, it's arrived damage, I want my money back and I can't be dealing with that. So if anybody listening to this wants to buy some Funkos privately and come and collect them, <laughs> please reach out because I it, I won't have anywhere to sleep soon. The, the problem is getting that that vast. Um, but back to back to gaming. I mean, some a lot of them are Pokemon ones, to be fair, so I can tie it in nicely. I've, I've probably got about 20 Pokemon ones. Um, started off just buying the ones that I like and then started buying any Pokemon ones I could get my hands on, which is why I have, like, Mr. Mime, who I cannot actually stand. <laughs> but I've got yeah. a Pokemon of him. Uh, I've got a Funko of him knocking about. But Pokemon Gold, I think my final verdict would be... I don't know. I mean, we've not discussed rating these games, but I think it probably is a nice little finish to rate them. Out of 10, I'd probably go a solid seven and a half. Yeah. Um, if if we're taking the nostalgia goggles off. Oh, right. And, okay. With, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're taking, yeah. <laughs> if we're, if we're going to review it, if we're going to do a completely impartial review, I think it's the foundation on which every other Pokemon game is built because it introduces everything that the Pokemon games carried on and ran with. Red and blue yeah. were glitchy as hell yeah and really basic gold and silver was when it became a franchise and it's what everything else was based on so so for that reason alone it's i'd say yeah solid seven because without it you've got nothing going forward i'll come down to a seven i'll agree with that without the nostalgia of it all i'd go with a, a solid seven it's fun to play there are bits in it that are infuriating but for the price that it was back then, I think you definitely got your money's worth out of it, especially you with your ticking the oh, clock yeah. over. Um, so I think it was a good value for money game back then, and it, it's still fun to play now, which is always a, the sign of a good game. So I would agree with the seven. What we're going to do with all these games is because I don't think we're going to agree with the order of the hundred in this book. So what we'll do is we'll have our own hundred by the end of this, if we're still going by the time we get to number one. So we can't put this anywhere other than number 100 because there's no other games on the list at the minute. But from now onwards, we'll either put them above or below this and we'll slot each game in and we'll come up with our own 100, which I'm hoping you'll be able to see on our Transistor website. So if you're wanting to find more episodes of the show, if there are more out, you can go to blg.transistor.fm and you'll find all the episodes there. And hopefully, if I can set a page up on it, R100, and you can follow where we're putting things on there. Shall we move on a little bit? I know we've got a little bit of time left and talk about some other video gaming things. Since it's the first episode, we don't want it to be wholly Pokemon Gold and Silver. So I think the biggest thing in video game at the minute is Hogwarts Legacy. So we'd be remiss not to mention it at least a little bit. 
Um, but before we do, I'd like to just take a little trip down memory lane with Eddie, because when we went to college together around 2001, 2002-ish, yeah. he was a staunch anti-Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, there were a few people, and I was on the fence with it. This is sort of before the films or around when the first films were coming out, wasn't it? So it wasn't the big thing it is now. Yeah, but I think that it was around the time of the fifth book. I think from the top of my head, because I worked in a bookshop at the time, so I remember the fifth book coming out while I was at college and it being like quite a big thing. Um, it might have been a bit later, a bit earlier than that actually. But yeah, the the films were taking off, weren't they? And it was sort of becoming this big franchise. And there were a couple of people in our group of friends who were massively into the books. And then there was Eddie at the other end of the spectrum who wouldn't entertain it. He said it was a kid's thing, wouldn't go near it, absolutely hated it. So I need to find out before we talk about Hogwarts Legacy whether your uh, your views have softened over the years. I, I think with the benefit of hindsight, I think I was justified back then. <laughs> Mostly because of the almost psychotic fervor that it got from people. People were saying, were comparing it to like Dickens. And you know, you just go, it's not that good. It, it, she, uh, J.K. Rowling, God bless her. The initial three or four, you could see the plot twists coming a mile off. You could see things like the basilisk reveal. If you knew Mm. anything about Dungeons and Dragons, RPGs, stuff like that, anything that you knew that that would petrify something and you were there going, it's a basilisk. I play Final (laughs) Fantasy. It's a basilisk. And everyone was like, oh my God, the twists. She's such a good Mm. writer. And you just think, she's not. She's not really. And then once you get to like book five, which is Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. So post that, then you start developing a good world, you get good twists. I mean, Jesus Christ, spoiler alert for anybody that's not read them yet. But oh yeah, those, those, those few people. <laughs> yeah. The few people that have um, never seen Harry Potter by this point. <laughs> but yeah, Snake killing Dumbledore and the revelations around other characters within it. And she does do good world building, but I'm talking post book five. I mean, I Up don't until even think... that point. Looking back, if you read them now, because I've I've started to read a few and I've had the audio books on while I've been working and stuff. She's not a brilliant writer. She's good. The environment she's created and and all the background to it and stuff. If you don't look too deeply at the plot holes in it, like the fact that the wizards are absolutely baffled by what a car is, despite half of them living in the real world every day anyway. Yeah. If you don't look at that kind of weird plot hole, yes, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's engaging. It's it's written well enough for its target audience. And I do enjoy reading. I enjoyed reading them back then. I've just gone back through them again. I've enjoyed them again. So, yeah, I can see what you mean about the first ones, though. It is sort of very by the numbers in the first couple of books. And, and there's nothing that, that surprised you that other people were claiming was so surprising. When you actually came to read them, yeah, I agree. You were sort of like, well, no, it's, it's pretty easy to telegraph that. And then, yeah, you get to five, which is the one that's thick enough to club someone to death with because it's absolutely gigantic. And you can see that she's putting more effort in because she's obviously realised, right, this has took off and I need to probably do a bit more with it than just churn out what I've done already in a different 
Fain sort of thing. And yeah, then it sort of takes off massively. And, and I think when I first saw the films, I wasn't a fan because I'd very recently read the books. And I kept all I did when I first saw it was, well, that's different to the book. They've missed this bit out that's in the book, which I think you do if you've read any book that's been converted to a film like Stephen King's It when they made the new ones of those. I hate those films because they're so far removed from the book. But if you made what's in the book, you'd probably get arrested. So I can sort of see why they've yeah. they've done that. But yeah, it's very different at the same time. And I think with the films, that's how I felt initially. But the more I've watched them, and I've watched them a lot because they're Amy's favourite films. Now, yeah, I can appreciate them. They are really fantastical and they sort of make you feel a bit like a kid again. And, and they are really well done. And the bits they've trimmed out, they didn't need to leave in. I mean, going back to Hogwarts Legacy, they've left Peeves in Hogwarts Legacy, who is not in any of the films, no. I think. Rick Mail was going to play him in the first one, which would have been amazing, and then they cut him out. That would have been phenomenal. But playing Hogwarts Legacy, you realise, yeah, actually, I can do without him because he's just incredibly annoying. And it would have got, it would have worn thin seven films in or six films in or whatever they'd done. So I can sort of see, I think Rick Mail could have made it work, although I don't think he would have been in them all because I think he sort of died mid run of films didn't he so that would have been another thing for him to contend with but yeah bits like that you can sort of when you play Hogwarts Legacy and you see how irritating he is and it's just constant noise it's like yeah I can see leaving him out of the films wasn't the worst decision in the end but no I don't know have you played Hogwarts Legacy yet or is it on your to play list or um, it it is on my to play list. Um, I haven't invested in it. I am I am weighing up the pros and cons of getting Dead Space, um, at the, the remake at the minute because that, I they they don't do good survival horror anymore, and going back to Dead Space would be delightful. Um, but yeah, it it is on my. I have softened in my old age towards <laughs> Harry Potter. I, I think the thing that really pissed me off about Harry Potter was in our secondary school, we had a book club as part of the English language um, department. And one of the first sessions we had, we were all sat around discussing, you know, favourite books and stuff like that. And Mm. uh, a couple of people had turned to myself and my mate at the time and said, oh, have you you read the Harry Potter books? And we both looked at them and went, "Um, no, no, we haven't, um, because we were on the assumption that they were for kids younger than us. And... (laughs) The dirtiest look, and the and the well, how come you've not read that? You you say you like literature and you haven't read that, and you know, think no, but I've read Dickens, I've read Shakespeare, I've read <laughs> the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, competent writing, and you sat here judging me because I've not read something that's two hundred pages long, designed for ten year olds. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, we're gonna so get that, complaints that was the about point that. at which. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get complaints, um, but yeah, that was the point for me where I just went, nah, I'm not, I'm, I, I just can't, can't that the fans, so you, and I think I think that's probably one of the worst areas for anything is the fans. Oh um, yeah, every, everything. I mean, I'm as you know into wrestling. Wrestling fans are dicks for the most part, probably me included in in some things that I've written over the years. And and it's it's the same in every fandom. I think there's there's a few that seem to not have that level of sort of vitriol and and support for something blindly. But 
not many things. And I think Harry Potter's another one where it's, if you're not a fan of Harry Potter, some Harry Potter fans will not be happy about that. And it's like, well, it's all right to not like something, but you don't yeah. get that when it's in, in, a, in a sort of embedded fan base. And I think I didn't want to talk about this and I don't really want to touch on it too much because it's nothing to do with me. But the whole sort of trans rights thing that's surrounding Hogwarts Legacy, I think that has been increased massively because, like you say, fan bases are so sort of hostile to people, anyone saying anything negative about it, that a lot of the a lot of Harry Potter fans probably see the point that that the trans community are making about J.K. Rowling, but some of them are so angry that someone could say anything negative about Harry Potter that they've just completely looked past that and just started attacking each other. And then that's drawn attacks back. And then it just turns into this like all out war where the game's sort of secondary to all this now. And it's just two groups of people arguing about who's right. And it just, it's one of those things I try and avoid it because if I find a thread on Facebook or something about it, I will literally sit there for hours reading through it. Not really siding with either side, just seeing what the angry arguments are that are being made. And the only thing that I've, I would agree with is that the people who made this game, whose livelihood revolves around this game being a success, don't deserve people saying don't buy this game because of one person's views, who is completely removed from it by this point, pretty much. Yeah, um, and and I think with what you're saying with, you know, oh, it's, it's essentially devolved to two sides of an argument that doesn't need to be anywhere near this. It's how religion starts, essentially. <laughs> Two diametrically opposed groups of people arguing the toss over something that has no direct impact on the overall product. I I just find it bizarre. Yeah, I I, I find it odd that they bring... I, I appreciate it's, you know, it's part of her work in inverted commas. Yeah. I mean, I think the amount of influence she's had over the overall project has been minimalistic. I, I don't think she's had any. With it. Yeah, from what I've seen as well, I think one of the big arguments was, oh, if you buy it, she profits from it. But she doesn't because she's already sold the rights to, to Warner to make this game. So she's had her money, whether no one buys it or a thousand people buy it or a million people buy it. And I think the, the other argument to that is that, well, if this one's a really big success, then they might make another one and she'll profit from that. But let's face it, they were always going to make another one. This game was never going to fail completely to the point they wouldn't make any more Harry Potter games. So sort of taking it out on the people who've developed this game and put what, I think it's been in development for like five years, four years, something like that. They've put four years of their lives into making this game, which is brilliant, by the way. I've played it quite a lot because I had to review it for another website. It's a brilliant game, and they've put five years of their life into making it, and I don't think they deserve to have their work sort of shunned because of what one person has said that is now completely removed from it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't see them, these people who are completely anti-Hogwarts Legacy and anti-JK Rowling, you don't see them picketing the um, Hogwarts experience. The, the... Oh, in Watford, yeah. <laughs> In Watford, that you don't see them outside with little banners saying "Don't do this." You're you're only uh, supporting someone who's anti-LGBTQ. Um, <laughs> it, it's just because it's the latest thing, yeah, that she's released. And let's be fair, she's made more money than God. So <laughs> I, d- I don't think you saying "Don't buy this game" and fourteen people not buying it is going to cause her sleepless nights. 
No, and However, I think the people... You, to your point... Go on. Um, uh... The people that developed it are the, are the poor buggers that are going to suffer for it because yeah. it's their livelihood at the end of the day. It's not hers. Yeah, if this bombs, they're the ones that aren't going to get to work on another game. Um, and thankfully it hasn't. I'm glad that it's had the success it has removing it completely from what you think about her, whether you love her or you hate her and you agree or you disagree with what she said. Something she said I don't agree with, but it's not going to stop me from playing a game that I've wanted to play for four years that me buying has very little basis on her life. Me not buying it won't punish her a single penny. And even if it did, she wouldn't be bothered. So it's one of those things like money means nothing to her now i presume she's got that much of it she doesn't care whether she makes any more or not so it wouldn't punish her even if she was getting every every penny of my 55 quid or whatever i spent on it she wouldn't be bothered so i just played it for what it was which is a bloody brilliant open world wizardy game and yeah i've i've played it for about 14 hours I, and eight of those were like as soon as it came out. I just played it for like eight hours straight, and I, it's amazing. And I've I've not even scratched the surface in those fourteen hours. I've I've barely done any missions because as soon as I was allowed, I was out of Hogwarts and I was straight into the woods, just fighting anything I could find. Which for anyone planning on playing the game, I don't recommend doing because you have no spells, and you need quite a lot of the spells when you get out into the regular world. So for four hours, I ran around just getting battered by spiders and anything else I could find, because I didn't really have that much of a way to beat them. But no, it, it, if it's on your list to play, definitely I'd, I'd get it, because it's it's so much fun, and it is just like being in one of the films. But I think, yeah, unless there's something else you want to discuss on, on the, the current news in games, is there anything? I know you mentioned Dead Space, something yeah, you've been looking um... forward to. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've always been a fan of survival horror. Um, I can't play it to save my life. Um, I am I am too much of a pathological coward to properly <laughs> get into horror games. But Dead Space One in particular was peak survival horror for me. Coming off the back of the legacy from Resident Evil, which had gone, which had lost its way massively by that point, because by that point we were into the realms of Resident Evil Five, which was yeah, Resident never Evil like five. Four, but a lot worse. <laughs> but not as yeah, bad as six. I'm gonna say it got worse, didn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, it got worse. I mean, don't get me wrong; it got better because then we got Resident Evil Seven out of it, which was phenomenal for what it was. But Dead Space, before EA started slowly moving it away from survival horror to action horror in Dead Space Two and Dead Space Three, and Dead Space 3 was awful. Um, in, in terms of survival horror as a genre, it is not a survival horror game. But Dead Space 1, you'd you'd spent 10 years with Resident Evil being trained, shoot him in the head. And Dead Space came along and just said, you shoot him in the head all you like, it's still going to gnaw your arm off. <laughs> and the fact that they keep on coming and then there's the added body horror to it as well, where you can see them mutating in real time and you're I think it builds off Resident Evil 1 remake in terms of once you've downed them or you find a corpse you stamp on it you sever all its limbs because otherwise if you're coming back through here it's going to mutate like the crimson heads from Resident Evil 1 remake yeah so I think it sort of built on that and I think they did such a phenomenally good job with Dead Space with the atmosphere and the sound effects. I mean, granted, there are like 
like we said with Pokemon, there are bits in it that jar quite badly. Mm. So the asteroid shooting bit, which uh, according to reviews, they've removed from the rest of the game. Um, so it's no longer in the remake. There, there is The section is there, but it's not a turret section where you're having to defend the thing from incoming asteroids. Um, but yeah, the USG Ishimura, I think is the ship. The creaking, the groaning of the ship under stress and the metal and the fires and the outbreaks of electricity panels and stuff like that all the while while you're seeing something skitter around the corner is prime horror and i don't think aside from resident evil 7 and i don't think anything after that has really recaptured that i mean they've tried with callisto protocol yeah, yeah, I've not, I've I've, not heard much about that, but I've heard it's not as good as Dead Space, essentially. They've tried to do Dead Space, but the the monsters aren't as gruesome. They're, they're just deformed people, mm. and it's very hand-to-hand combat-orientated. There's not many guns that have got a lot of weight to it, whereas the Ripper Blade and the even the, your base gun, the line gun, the, mm. or whatever it is, the bolt cutter that's got like the changing um, sideways axis and, that you can... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to divest an enemy of his limbs is just phenomenally good fun to play. Um, and they, uh, yeah, like I say, I don't think anyone's really recaptured that in terms of survival horror. I mean, I dare say if people are watching this, there will be a shed ton of comments correcting me that I've missed some... Bear in mind that I don't play PC. <laughs> the only one I can think of that and it's not the same because you can't really fight back as much would be like Alien Isolation that has that atmosphere of... Yeah. You can't you, you you're sort of always on edge because you never know when something's gonna happen and it's not my kind of game if I'm honest. I like Resident Evil, but Alien Isolation was one step too far for me because it, you're just so helpless with it, aren't you? It's like Outlast and that kind of game. I I don't like it where I can't fight back. I draw um, the line at Outlast. <laughs> Outlast and Five Nights at Freddy's they're not games. They are they are designed <laughs> specifically for Twitch streamers to react to and immediately oh, well. tab out of the game <laughs> please tell me there's none of those in the uh, top 100 give, give it give it a few months i mean i don't think there's any in the top 100 but once we get through this 100 we've not really got a plan so it, i mean watch this space six months time we might be sat on a twitch stream reacting to five <laughs> nights of freddy's you never know yeah i mean if, if yeah, we're still doing this because in... the pink thing moved again <laughs> If if we're still doing this in five months' time, I'll be happy. I'll say that because I'm, yeah. I've I've quite, it's something I enjoy talking about, and hopefully other people have enjoyed listening to us ramble on for what has now been an hour, which feels like about ten minutes. So I think we're probably better off calling it there. We've not got a schedule in mind at the minute, so I, I've been hesitant to say this week or weekly or anything like that while we've been recording this because we don't know when we're going to have time to to put the next one out, but. Rest assured, it is coming, um, and I'll give you a little sneak peek. So another thing we we discussed before we, we started recording was certain games in this top 100 are not going to take us an hour to discuss. I mean, if we got 10 minutes out of some of them, I think we've done well, and I think number 99 is one of those games. So number 99 is 1981's Defender, which, as fun of a game as it is, I think because I have played it very briefly back in back in the day, not in 1981, obviously, but when I when I was a bit younger, 
Um, I don't think there's going to be that much for us to say about it. So we might end up pairing some of the list together into one episode. So number 98 is Civilization 4, which is much chunkier than Defender, but also potentially not one we'll have a lot to say about. So we will figure it out, and it might be that you're in for a bumper episode two, where we work our way all the way through to number 97, which is Metal Gear Solid 3. Which... Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would take up quite a bit more time. So it might be that some episodes like today we do dedicate to one game because there is so much to say about Pokemon Gold and and Pokemon in general. But then some you might find it's two or three games as we whip through this hundred and try and get to the to the number one and and piece them all together. So hopefully you've enjoyed listening. I will just point out that we do have a Patreon as well, which was set up more in hope than anything else. But if anyone does want to chuck a few quid our way, podcasting is not an expensive thing to do, but it's not free either. So anything we, we get is appreciated and it will go towards keeping us running and keeping us hosted on the internet. You can find all those inf- all the information over on our Transistor page, which is, again, blg.transistor.fm. And I think for now, that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.